how we're going to start. I'm going to, I always do this. Like you do the, like we're logging on. I'm like, hi, good to see you again. Yeah, we yeah, do yeah. that thing. Um, can so, we make that real though? Can we, can we somehow be more honest about this? Like, actually, I'm like, maybe we won't do it. I kind of like the way we started this episode. So yeah. How does the activist land the corporate dollars to make change? How does the child leave a movement? Hello, Greta, anyone. And how did the millennial convince the boomer? What do these situations have in common? They had make or break moments where influence was created and light bulbs went off. I'm Rebecca Nedelik, and this is Nuance of Impact, a podcast to get lost in the stories of those making change. Together, we'll chat, learn, and ponder the nuanced make or break moments that make social impact so impactful. We didn't talk about this in the pre-interview, but the reason I'm really fascinated with this subject is because I have, I work in social impact space. So I, I've worked in not-for-profit and then I've also managed corporate social responsibility for um, various corporations in various different ways. And I have this friend who we, we kind of came up through university together and she actually introduced my husband and I, and she's actually, she, she should be staying with us right now. She's just went, um, you don't know Canadian geography, maybe fully, actually, maybe you do. She went to Red Deer. Mm, sorry, well, that's over my head. Yeah, that's beyond. Yeah, me. all good. Okay. I yeah. Anyway, she's in Red Deer right now, but okay. we have conversations frequently because she's like she's an activist. She's much, I would say, like if it was left and right, she's very left. And uh, I feel like I'm somewhere in the middle. We often talk about like this middle space, like what's the role of the people in the middle, and I have lots of opinions. And I, I share those opinions freely, but I often am in spaces where, where someone will say something, whether it's like treading on homophobic, treading on racist, treading on things that people just really shouldn't say. And, and I'm in spaces where I'm typically like, okay, I want to, I want to help this person get away from saying this in this way. Like, I don't want, I don't want this person to think about, think this way anymore. And I think the most effective way of doing it is sort of like asking lots of questions, guiding, guiding that person in their thinking process a little bit. And that that maybe is the most effective way of us um, making progress on big social issues. And so we have this, this conversation often, she disagrees with that. She thinks in her opinion that we don't get anything done that way, that like social change doesn't technically happen that way. And then we also have this like, incredible topic of polarization, which is where I feel like people are right now, where people are either really radical, radically left or radically right. And that we don't ever really meet in the middle anymore. Um, that the commonality that we have between each other as human beings is not a space that we tend to, we spend a lot of time in anymore. And so that's why I wanted to have this conversation. That's where I started like the Google searching on who's doing work in this area. And that's where I found you, Daniel. So hi. Hi. Great. <laughs> um, so I wanted to just share that with you because I'm a curious, like where, where did you, you're an, you're in economics. You're that's your area of study. Yep, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. How did yeah. you find your way yeah. to polarization? And interest yeah. In why, why is an economist working on polarization? So in grad school, I, looking for a dissertation topic. And um, I've been very concerned about climate change for, for quite a while. So in that sense, it goes back before grad school. And uh, I 
wondered, it seemed to me that we had this, even back in the 2000s when I was in, in grad school for economics, that there was a clear scientific consensus that the climate change was very much real and one of the, the, the greatest threats to humanity, right? One of the biggest problems that the world faced. So we, we know what's going on here and yet we're not doing anything about it. And so I, um, I wondered, you know, to what extent we were failing to take action because of misinformation, disinformation, and, and uh, manipulation of misinformation, that sort of thing. So I did some work in grad school on that. Um, so I thought maybe, you know, it's sort of, I don't want to, um, I'm a little hesitant to say bad actor, but uh, maybe it's particular special interest groups, mm-hmm. organizations, firms that have a strong interest in their in climate change not being real, mm-hmm. <laughs> taking some actions to promote information suggesting it's not real or not a great threat. And other people out there who are doing the best they can, maybe they were sort of unwittingly influenced by information. So that wasn't a polarization issue as much as we have this real problem, we're not taking action, why is that? And after, so I worked on that for a bit and worked on some other climate change-ish stuff. And then I, I sort of followed my nose and um, started to see and see that other people also um, believe that the, the general media landscape is a big part of the, the problem. Big part of the reason basically, a lot of people seem to hold false beliefs about an issue which is not essentially a matter of, of values or taste. Yeah. It's a matter of science. So maybe the media is the problem. We've had a bunch of changes in the media landscape in, in the US, but all over the world in the last few decades, of course, with the growth and advent of the internet. And in the US, cable news changed a lot in the 90s and, and, and that sort of thing. So economists, you know, in general, work on questions of policymaking, questions of information. What, what causes people to hold accurate beliefs or less accurate beliefs? Yeah. How, how that information might be influenced by special interest groups. We're interested in firms of all types, including media firms. So I, I worked on a, I was, got into some research on whether more competitive media landscapes, whether you know, uh, having a lot of different news firms out there on the web and blogs and things like that, whether that would help us make us more or less in, informed. And mm, I felt like I made a little progress with that. Yeah, but um, still which is also really, that's just yeah, kind of interesting too because it's like there's so. That, that is sort of like the dawn of age of media, right? Like what movie was it that I watched? The Social Dilemma, maybe the one on social media that talks about like, it talked a lot about like fake news and information and just, so is that sort of like, did the two collide? Yeah, yeah. You know, um, I, I never saw The Social Network. <laughs> I saw, uh, I, I started to watch it on plane the other day and I was like, uh, this is kind of weird, yeah. Wait, did you watch The Social Dilemma or The Social Network? Oh, you said The Social Dilemma. Good. <laughs> okay. I have seen um, I have seen The Social. That's one on Netflix, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm sorry. I misheard you there. Yeah. yeah did you like The good. Social Dilemma at least? Yeah. Um, I I like The Social Dilemma much more than I like The Social Network, not that I saw that much of The Social Network. And I think The Social Dilemma raises a lot of good points. And yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the whole question of echo chambers and filter bubbles and people being fed information that radicalizes them. Um, so, so what do economists do? We work on all sorts of things. We, um, you know, anything related to human behavior, but um, this, this grad school work was fundamentally sort of a question of information and strategic manipulation of information. And then media firm behavior, that's more classic econ. But then 
after that, I grew to see that really the sort of deeper fundamental problem that had emerged, especially in the US, but it's happening all over the world to different degrees. And I think it's happening in Canada more and more is that we've grown to, to dislike those we disagree with mm-hmm. uh, more and more over time. So it's not polarization of opinions as much as polarization of, of feeling. So, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, so the term, you might be familiar with this term affective polarization. I don't know how no. standard, but yeah. So it's kind of yeah. an academic term, yeah. But that's the term for emotional polarization or polarization of feelings. And hmm. um, it was really- it was Wait, what, just, is, what does that mean? What does that mean? Emotion? Uh, so affective is sort of psychology jargon for emotional. Mm-hmm. Um, affect is, is sort of a fancy psychology term for emotion. Mm-hmm. So it means that our feelings, if you and I were to become affectively polarized, it would basically mean that we've grown to, to dislike it. The term, it, you know, you could sort of dig into it and question whether it's really a perfect term, but what, what it means in practice is when two groups become affectively polarized, they grow to increasingly dislike each other. Mm. Um, their feelings grow apart rather than opinions because in some sense, you know, we could, we could go off on a tangent here where you could say, well, our, our feelings could also become polarized if, if I like you more and more and, 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 and you like yourself less and less or something like that, mm-hmm. then our feelings would become different, but that's not what happens in reality. Right. So in reality, when feelings diverge, um, you think you're okay. I think I'm okay. And, and my, I, I, if I continuously increasingly think that you're worse and worse and worse and dislike you more and more and more, my feeling about you is diverging from, from your feeling mm-hmm. about. What, you. And why is that in like where my mind jumps in that is that that's important because at like, as human beings, like we both see each other as, as humans, like we care, we, at the very, we care about the human in, in theory, we care about the human spirit. So even if I don't dislike you, um, the idea is that be both being human beings, we can both have some sort of commonality around some, some shared experience of like walking this earth, walking this planet, you know, going about our daily lives. And so where I'm going with this is it sounds like when we become affectively polarized, emotionally polarized, we start to see each other let as we start to see each other as not human. Yeah. Yeah. Dehumanization is part of the story we definitely research has certainly shown that partisans have become more willing to to dehumanize um uh counter partisans or part or or people members of the opposing party Mm. so dehumanization and affective polarization sort of go hand in hand Mm. um so you're you're right about that and um so this term affective polarization was just coined in 2012 and the basic um, finding that we've become in the US, like I said, especially, but also in other countries, markedly more effectively polarized over the last few decades was sort of discovered in just 2012. And since then, there's been a, a ton of research that has confirmed it and dug into it. And, and that is the key way that we've really become polarized Whereas there had been a bunch uh, extensive debate over the years before then about to what extent mm-hmm. we had actually become more polarized ideologically or in terms of our policy views, because there was some evidence that ideologically, policy preference-wise, 
we hadn't changed all that much. Mm-hmm. And yet we did seem to be fighting more than ever. So what's going on? So what we've definitely, what has definitely changed is, is our feelings towards those we disagree with. Wow. That, yeah. Yeah. And I, that's hmm. almost directly linked to this climate change impasse and many other ones, because if you don't like someone, you don't want to admit that they're right about something. Right. So what's the fundamental reason? Right. So maybe a lot of people don't want to change their minds about the science of climate change and a bunch of other issues is if they change their minds, they'd have to admit that the people that they think are, are bad people and, and maybe aren't even fully human yeah. uh, were right all along. And, and that, that's an awful feeling. So dislike wow. is preventing us from, from making progress on all sorts of policy issues and, and also making us believe things that are false and, and, and maybe even causing other problems. Um, so in, in a sense, I think that our, our feelings about each other um, as people are, are really fundamental. Um, of course, there's an interplay, there's sort of a back and forth. Um, my, you know, if we disagree about a political issue, and I think you're wrong about the issue, that that might affect my feelings about you, that might make make me think that you're you're less intelligent or less moral or something like that. Mm. And so beliefs about issues affect feelings and then feelings in turn affect. So, you know, there's, there's a feedback process there, but, um, and sorry, so, just so to give, that thought. you said, and feelings and, and the change in feelings do well, what will then affect my beliefs about other policy issues. So mm. suppose I'm sure I have a particular view about abortion. I think it should be safe and legal for everyone or something. And, um, and you, you don't think that, then I'll think there's something wrong with you. And then, um, mm. then you tell me that you have some other opinion about some political issue. Climate, or, let's say climate yeah, change. I'll say, well, I already think that you're a bad person, so I'm not going to trust you. Uh, on the climate issue either. I'm going to think that you're either, you know, um, again, it's stupid, the two, incompetent. Yeah, the two basic dimensions, right, are competence and, and morality. Although, of course, there's more. Wow. Um, competence and morality. Those are the two issues that like, so when we get into those, that feelings cycle where we're emotionally polarized, what was the word you used? Ad- effectively polarized. Yeah. Effectively polarized. The judgment that sort of comes out of that is morality yeah. and competence. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's some question in the research about to what extent the affective polarization is driven by feelings about one or the other. They, but they're they're both. Sir, our, our beliefs about the other uh, about the other side of the spectrum about other people, um, about their qualities in, in both of those dimensions have declined. Um, and then there's some research that that argues I think that it's it's really morality, the morality mm-hmm. factor that, that drives really, really strong things. Like you're not gonna hate someone just because you think they're dumb, but you'll hate them if you think that they're they're morally bad. Dumb so and, to, and a bad person. To reach the point, right, of, of hatred, we, we need to have some real strong moral judgments. Wow. So just to quickly get back to your original question, why am yeah. I looking at this? It's, um, because I'm trying to figure out why we, we can't come to agreement on, on factual issues. And um, through the years, my work has led me to see this. I've, I've come to believe, and it's not just me, a lot of 
scholars across the social sciences think that it's because we increasingly dislike each other. Mm. Um, and uh, yeah, um, but ultimately I, 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 I wanna help us, you know, um, understand truth and, and, and make more informed decisions on all sorts of issues mm-hmm. and, and not sort of foolishly butt heads about things where- um, That are basically know. non-factual. <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, so I could I could go on some more about this, or we could we could keep moving ahead uh, and get into something else. Yeah, I think I'm I'm curious. Like, I just want to go one more layer there. Yeah. I'm curious demographics that are that have been traditionally marginalized. Something that I remember reading a lot about. Um, I'm interested in reconciliation efforts here in Canada with Indigenous peoples, and something that I took a course and some of what they talked about was like it's just the worldview, the changing worldview. And, and I couldn't help thinking while I was like doing this course, how um, the indigenous worldview is like, is about balance and like harmony and, um, you know, being in flow with nature. And, and it's just like, it's a really beautiful worldview, <laughs> like even around justice and like transformation, like it's really, really, I think it's a beautiful worldview, but it's so different than like the colonizers. And, you know, when colonizers came to Canada, And I couldn't help thinking, despite how right and moral, like wonderfully moral, (laughs) the Indigenous worldview was, um, they continue to be exploited. So this is all things that we know. Where I'm going with this is that part of where I struggle with this polarization is that sometimes in order to create more of that power balance, especially after, you know, centuries of inequity, it seems like those radical perspectives, like the fight, (laughs) can't always be done through nice conversation and, you know, hearing each other out. And I think that's where I struggle sometimes with this because I I tend to play with the middle ground. And I think a lot of folks do. And I think, you know, when we're talking, finding that commonality, finding that commonality is great if both sides are going to do it. Where I think a lot, if you look at historical contexts, where everything goes wrong is one party may do that, but if the other party's not doing it, this party just continues to get exploited. So like, how does that play? How does that play into this conversation, especially now, like where we are in 2022? Yeah, yeah. Um, so you don't want to be a doormat, right? Yeah. You don't want to be a sucker and you don't want to be the only side to act in good faith and get taken advantage of, right? Um, so you got to keep that in mind. Um, so Right, so that that is the fundamental tension with this general idea that we should fight polarization and attempt to depolarize because mm. what if there are some sort of truly bad actors who will exploit you as much as they can get away with if you give them the chance, right? And like traditional, if we look at history, history, in my opinion, like wouldn't history dictate that that is what would happen? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. So I... I honestly don't have much expertise, right? Going back hundreds of years in the history mm-hmm. of history in general, right? Um, of course, you know, it, it makes sense to, to, to think about being, these things in, in light, from a historical perspective. Um, but what I would say is we, in general, what the, re, what, not just me, but, but research widely shows is that we we have a we have a negativity bias. We we tend mm. to assume the worst about those we disagree with. And we tend 
to attack too soon, to retaliate too soon, to see, to feel slighted prematurely. So it's not that we should always just keep giving and giving and giving and turning the other cheek forever and ever. But um, most, most people um, are, are, are fairly you know, reasonable actors. You know, there's a reason that humanity has survived as long as we have. We're not completely around, right? And so we make a lot of mistakes, but ultimately we're purpose, purposeful and we, we you know, look for opportunities for, for even for mutual gains. And so most people, when they understand that they're, they're dealing with someone who's also reasonable and is not, most people, when they appear to be acting in a self-serving way, are doing it because they're afraid the other side is doing the same thing to them. You know, mm. it's so easy to slip into these, these conflict spirals and cycles where each side is, thinks they're dealing with someone horrible on the other side. And so they have to, they can't give them an inch and so on because the other side will take full advantage. And yeah, that's for most people, that's not true. And, and so I'm, you know, European colonizer, you know, that we've progressed in, in many, many ways over that period of time. So we have a lot of things to improve on and, um, but we're, we're much more educated and informed. In general, when you disagree with someone and when you think that, they're, that, that their viewpoint is completely either foolish or self-serving or you know, bad for various reasons, in general, it's more reasonable than you think it is. <laughs> mm. that, that's, and, and, and in general, you will be better off if you try to understand their viewpoint better and you will be more able to, to come up with some cooperative arrangement, come to work with them in a way that benefits you and them if you don't jump at the first opportunity to attack or, or do something mm -hmm. which could be perceived as aggressive. So turn the other cheek at least once, maybe twice, maybe three times. If you keep getting burned, then yeah, maybe this is someone you can't negotiate with and that you either need to just distance yourself from, or if you're forced to deal with them, don't give them an inch. But most of the time, people, I, I sense from you, you know, you have a lot of faith in the decency of humanity in general, right? Mm -hmm. So I think I'd like so, to, I think I'd like okay. to have like, yeah, I think yeah. I'd like to have that. But even as we're talking, I'm like, I even just think of the business world, right? And business negotiations, careers, like corporate, even there's, there's always a winner and a loser. And even if there's two winners, there's one who won more. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, so there's so even if there's two winners, there's always someone who wins a little bit more. I right that it's a natural way. That's it's sort of human, right? We we want to come out on top. Of course, there are some situations that are truly zero sum, right? If I take if the pie is fixed, if I take a slightly bigger piece, your piece is going to be a little bit smaller, right? Mm. Um, and it's really hard to cut it in half exactly. If you saw my husband and I negotiating over dessert, then you would know that it's exactly 50-50, but I hear where you're going yeah. with it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So maybe, maybe there is, um, maybe it is possible to have an actual equal split, but, but you're right. In reality, when you, even when you shoot for true equality, most of the time, someone's going to get at least a little bit more. If that's what so what do you do? I, I think the most productive thing to do is to not worry about really small differences. Um, not mm -hmm. to, I, you know, of course I'm not accusing you of this, but mm -hmm. to, you know, in general, we, 
to not be petty, right? That that's mm-hmm. why pettiness means focusing on minor things that aren't a big deal to blowing them out of proportion, right? So if he got 51% of the pie and, and you got 49%, you're right. Technically he was the winner and you were the loser. And yet truly who cares? And, and if you were to make a big deal out of that, mm-hmm. he would maybe, maybe acquiesce and say, okay, I'll give you it a bigger piece next time. But he might lose a little bit of respect for you and think that you're a little bit, you know, worse of a person in some sense and be a little bit less trusting of you and be a little bit more willing to, to push back the next time you say something that he disagrees with. Mm. He's going to think it was dri- um, And whereas if you just let it go, um, you know, the 5149, it, it could truly be due to randomness. I mean, in really productive relationships, both sides, actually, I, I really think it's possible for both sides to want the other side to get the mm-hmm. 51% and, mm-hmm. and to actually actively say, you know, I mean, we do this with friends, right? No one wants to take the last piece of bread <laughs> in the bread basket. And like, you know, when we have good relationships, we actually make an effort to, to not win in some sense, because mm-hmm. we don't want to create any ill will. We know mm-hmm. that the quality of the relationship is much more important than any material gain in the short run. So my husband's going to be like, he's going to like take this segment and then he's going to like send it to me every single time. There's a dessert <laughs> okay. Well, I, I don't know if you're saying that's a good thing or not. Uh, yeah. I'm going to, or it's a good reminder for me. I'm like, I'm right there yeah. with that knife on the pie. I'm like, dessert yeah. for me is a dessert is like a real, it's a, it's oh, a, yeah. it's, you it's too. A well, thing. in some sense, when you, when you battle it out with your partner for the last little bit, that means your relationship is strong enough that it withstands the pie yeah yeah, I do that with my spouse too my thinking about all this stuff is definitely influenced by my relationship with her we've Mm -hmm. had plenty of ups and downs and plenty of tensions by the way she's very much not an economist she's an English major journalist who declared that she hated economists in college and so there's she hated the columnist economists economists she might have said econ majors you were like, I wasn't, do you want yeah, to go out? <laughs> yeah, yeah. We met after college, but, and I was not an economics major in college. So in some sense, we're avoiding, you know, pure <laughs> hypocrisy. So we say that I'm on the more rational, less emotional side. She's on the more human, emotional side. And we learn from each other and, and I've gotten a lot of data there and stuff. So, <laughs> um, That's amazing. So, yeah, I'll, I'll get more into that later, maybe. It really yeah, I, 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 yeah, just one more really quick thing. Like, yeah. I think the colonizers were ultimately ignorant, right? Like, if they had been better educated, you know, they wouldn't have done, I don't know, things could have gone better. You have hope that they wouldn't have done the things that they did. Yeah. yeah. I, I I think I have hope for that as well. I think um, as you're speaking, just it really reminds me of um, certain family members of mine. They're just so fair. Like, they really, they really think about every decision with a lens of fairness on, like, what's what is, what is fair? Like, what is the right thing to do in this situation? And I, I don't know. I, I feel like we have people in our, you know, communities and societies that are, that are like that, that think that way, but I almost feel like there's more people who don't think that way, Yeah. you know, yeah. that, that they don't yeah. think about even in, even in, you know, certain business relationships or, or community relationships where it, it, it really even reminds me of just the idea yeah. of like getting a good deal. Right. Like you buy something from the neighbor and you want a good deal. 
And the good deal is not about making sure that they got enough money for the object. It's about making sure that, that you in re- in like you got more than what it was worth. Yeah. Well, right? I think, yeah. I mean, if you want to be a good neighbor and I think most people do, you don't want to rip off your neighbor. Na- like suppose they're selling something that is quite valuable and they, they're not aware of its value. Um, so suppose, you know, they're selling, gosh, I don't know, some work of art or like some baseball card or something that they think is a piece of junk. And so they're, they're, and they're selling it for five bucks and it's worth a thousand dollars. Um, would, would you pay $5 and just take it and and pocket? Or would you say, oh my gosh, did you realize? Yeah. Um, so I, you're right. I know a lot of people certainly would would pay the five bucks and, um, take advantage. But I think the, there are a lot of people who might instinctively do that and then would regret it later. Mm. Um, partly due to guilt. There are other people that would regret it because, the neighbor would later find out that they were taken advantage of and have their relationship be poisoned. So for practical reasons, they would have been better off being honest with the neighbor, telling them this is worth a ton. You shouldn't sell it to them. Um, So I, yeah, there, there are people that will take advantage of situations. I think most of them just don't realize that they would be better off not doing that, that their, their own lives will be improved by being honest and cooperative. Um, maybe, think, yeah, go ahead. Do you think go that ahead. like part of the issue with pol- with polarization is that like, is a lack of like focus on our basic human virtues, like our basic <laughs> human values around, you know, what it means, what does it mean to do the right thing? What does it mean to like, is that part of the, cause I agree with you. Like I, I a hundred percent agree with you. I just don't know that I see a whole lot of that. Like when I, like there's T think about it, there's TV shows, like the bar finds, right. Or the barn finds, have you ever seen that the barn finds it's like go into the, you, the dream is you go into this barn and there's all these cars and they're selling them off and they don't know what they're worth. And you get that car. That's like worth a million dollars for a hundred bucks. You know what I, do you know what I mean? Like, it's yeah well okay that's so a I bad think that's, and trivial example but like you know what I'm saying uh kind of I mean I think there are situations where it is fair to for the buyer you know not to get too into this question of just uh you know what's appropriate behavior at a yard sale or something yeah <laughs> yeah no I think there you know if you're putting in the work to search out you know diamonds oh gosh I'm so sorry no worries. That's um, so. Uh, if you're putting in the work to to find the diamonds in the rough, then you should take. You know, you're not taking advantage of your your friend and neighbor's ignorance. You're that's you're earning it in some sense, and they're trying to. So uh, I'm not saying that any you know you should never buy something cheap just because it's a good deal. Um, but um, yeah, polarization more generally. Uh, is it about, you know, how we feel about humanity? I, I think it is. I think, you know, a lot of research has shown that you know, when we actually spend time with people that we 
that are different from us in all sorts of ways, ethnically or religiously or in terms of political views, when we get to know them better, we realize that they're more decent than we, we like them better. Mm. So, you know, people and indigenous people, Europeans, I mean, you, their human nature across the world has a lot of shared things. And if those Europeans were to grow up in the indigenous culture, they would obviously have a better appreciation for it. Right. And they would be more similar and they would share the values and act similarly and, and vice versa. So embracing the differences. Yeah, we are products of our circumstances to a large extent, but we all uh, we're human and we love human connection. And we, we, we ultimately, you know, nothing gives us more pleasure and joy and meaning than developing deep, trusting relationships with other humans, mutually beneficial relationships. We love to give to our friends and family when we're confident that they'll give back and they'll be there for us in the future. Mm-hmm. And we also are quick to to uh, to to fight and to for our tempers to flare when we feel threatened, and that's true around the world as well. You know, it, it wasn't yeah. just European colonizers who engaged in you know hostile. Oh yeah, there's a bazillion war. examples of it. Yeah, so um, you know we're too quick to uh, to see red, so to speak, to see the enemy when we feel a bit of a threat. But ultimately, um, we you know we don't just want to to do what's best for ourselves. And there's also some neat research showing that most people, if you actually ask them about this, they think that most people have a good true self. So Mm. even um, deep down, down underneath whatever it is people are doing, most people are good on the inside. We actually believe that. Even misanthropes, people who don't like people in general, think that most people are doing the best they can. We take pleasure in helping others. Hmm. Um, we just we don't want to be taken advantage of. Very few people want to give up both their kidneys for strangers and things like that. Yeah, yeah. but but we don't seek to just dominate destroy people for no reason. Although, although yes, you're absolutely right that there are people out there. You know, status is important too. We we want to help. Yeah. And yet there are a lot of people who want to help and also have a bit of an edge. Be yeah. you know the leader. So um, that's where things can get really can get tricky. Mm-hmm. But in general, we're we're too quick. To, to turn these you know minor disputes into to major massive blowups yeah what do you think is what do you think is um we talk a lot about like every actually every time I hear people talk about polarization they talk about it in um they're talking about it as it relates to politics where is our responsibility as it comes to where and when it comes to polarization um yeah yeah so you mean I guess like if we become emotionally polarized and yeah, we're at a, like a school board meeting and there's a bunch of kids, it's for the, it's for the kids. It's all for the kids. Yeah. 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 And we are, we are emotionally polarized. How does that play out in like that basic sense of society? Cause I think right yeah. now we're always thinking yeah. about it in terms of like politics, social media, like all these different big yeah. things. Well, what are the general social implications? Yeah. I mean, obviously it's going to make us more likely to be, uncivil and to you know actually insult each other and perhaps even behave in more aggressive or violent ways right so um yeah so there's of course a little you know this is a big question in the u.s now to what to what to what extent is affectual polarization going to blow up into actual violence and there have been incidents 
here and there on January 6th was a major, major incident. Um, but that, that's not what you mean about social order. Um, I mean, so schools, you know, have been a school policy, this question of to what extent were schools gonna be open or schools gonna require masking, you know, has been a place where there have been a, mm -hmm. a ton of intense um, fights and debates. Um, and, uh, you know, it, again, everything is political, right? So it's, maybe this doesn't get at your question about social order. Um, something else that's coming to mind is these actual physical fights that seem to be more common on, on planes mm. about mm. masking, right? I don't know if you've seen videos online or heard stories of people not handling it well when they're told that they have to mask. Of course, US airlines aren't requiring masking anymore, but yeah. before um, when, when masking was required, um, it seemed like, you know, uh, tension was, was thick. Um, people were on edge and just, whereas, you know, in the past, uh, without this undercurrent of polarization, you could tell someone to do something in a way that's different from what they thought was best and they would roll their eyes. But now people are, you know, they're, they're yelling more, they're, they're fighting more physically. Um, I don't know, honestly, I mean, I think we have to be careful not to overstate that sort of disorder um, because by and large, I mean, there is evidence of, of, of up to various types of crime, and, but um, by and large, you know, society is extremely functional still, even with all the problems we have, yeah. right? I mean, go to the grocery store just about anywhere and they might be out of a couple things, but we're, we're very lucky that we can pretty easily get just about any type of food or drink we want, and it's a little more expensive, or maybe it's even twice as expensive as it was a few years ago. And yet, you know, we're, most of us are lucky enough that we can still um, feed ourselves pretty easily and that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and you don't have to worry about someone just randomly, say, punching you because they don't like the political, I don't know, they, yeah. they don't like something about um your appearance or something so i mean that um, definitely is a good example of like what's the worst case scenario with polarization and i guess it really is like you disagree with someone and violence becomes you know if we're talking about like we become polarized we become disdainful towards each other we we you know we decide yeah. very quickly that we hate another human being because we have a difference of opinion and that anger leads to like that yeah. would be an example of of not that specific example, but that that's a good way to explain like what is what is the worst case scenario as it comes to polarization and um and where yeah. where it could lead. Because yeah. I think part I mean, of it is is understanding, you know, especially for like let's say we say um I'll I'll use, I'll give you an example. Um there's a teacher I know and they were sharing with me that um the parent um in in the province I live in, um, there's like rules around what Alberta, right? <laughs> yes, in Alberta, yeah. there's yeah, rules Alberta. around like what you can talk about when it comes to gender and um, and anyway, the parent, the child told the parent that said something like it's a secret, like I can't tell you, 
And the parent was like, reached out to this teacher and said, what was a secret? And she said, there's actually no, there was no, there's no secrets. Um, but what, what this teacher learned was that the child didn't feel comfortable telling their parent about, um, I think just the talk, the point that they were talking about was like, that you should love your neighbor regardless of how they identify. And this is, these are, these are grade one students, by the way, you should love your neighbor regardless of how they identify if they wear a skirt or they have long hair, like very basic grade one principles. And this parent took that as like gender studies or as, you know, and, and really disagrees with it and said some really homophobic things to this teacher. And this teacher was just said like, it's hard because there's nothing I can really do about it. I can't engage in a conversation um, just because of their role. Ooh, so hard, so difficult. Um, and like, in a way that I think that's sometimes like the scary part about polarization is because we also, we either, we're not talking, like we can't have those conversations. The teacher couldn't have a discussion to say, hey, why do you believe this, blah, 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 because the parent would then think, that this teacher was, you know, influencing yeah. their personal beliefs on the the common ground of we care about other humans, and that if somebody is wearing a dress or has long hair or doesn't have long hair or likes to wear blue, like that we shouldn't like them was depicted as gender studies. Well, yeah, that that sounds very really, very troubling. I would guess that if the teacher explained it the way that you explained it, there's at least a decent chance that this parent would have been like, oh, that's cool. I'm sorry that I, you know, uh, that I exploded at you. And I've seen all this stuff on the news about teachers indoctrinating and, and, and teaching inappropriate material to kids about things that they're not ready for, things related. And yeah, of course, it's cool to teach them to-, to uh, Care for each other's neighbors. Yeah, to care about your neighbors, no matter, you know, what their appearance is. And, I think that some of those yellers, those parent yellers, I mean, we 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 all overreact, right, to, mm-hmm. to things which seem wrong. And so, mm-hmm. and um, some of us have learned to like cool off before we call up the teacher. And some of us haven't. I mean, I still, you know, I study this stuff for a living and I, I still have moments where it's a real struggle to not give someone a piece of my mind. And, and usually when I want to do that, I'm only, my my mind is not well informed. Like I've only got yeah. a half baked impression of something. I think there's a decent chance that parent would have actually apologized and been like, "That's cool." There's there's also a decent chance they would have just kept yelling. Um, yeah. In which case, you just say, "Okay, I'm sorry you feel that way," and hopefully that teacher has the support of their administrator. Part of you know trying to understand this stuff it means trying to understand why everybody has these feelings and behavior and and so mm-hmm. some parents are on edge on this issue because they at least have heard about stories of things which most people would agree are inappropriate mm-hmm. for for kids right there are at least something triggered them something triggered them and so i guess it's like almost having having maybe in some some form of empathy that perhaps there, there is some, some sort of rational fear there, even though it's not being communicated right? well in and that time, because that person's really emotional. Right. Right. And, and sure, maybe their, their views and, and knowledge about, you know, this general, the general issue of, you know, sexuality, maybe they're behind the times, right. Mm-hmm. You know, their functions of their own 
upbringing yeah. environment yeah i mean in general yeah when people are ignorant it's sometimes it's their fault and they should know better and they should make an effort to inform themselves better and sometimes they just are there but but yeah there's at least kernels when someone has an extreme you know i'm sure the person overreacted but there's also some basis for their reaction and trying to understand mm-hmm. that will help out everyone and you know being really careful to avoid yeah, they're again, they're bad actors in the media who are looking for inflammatory, non-representative, you know, cherry-picked, distorted stories of kids being five-year-olds being taught things that yeah, that are above yes. Yeah. So we we can't give them that ammunition because there yes. are some people that are just looking for those stories. But um yes. given that that's out there, there are gonna be some parents. Who, who are ready to explode. And, totally. and so when they do, um, you know, it would be nice if they were more sophisticated and <laughs> didn't, uh, you know, think that, that the, the, the random little news story they heard was, was as broadly accurate as, as, as it was implied, but, but, but you know, um, that's not how people's minds work. So. Yeah. Um, I have one more question for yeah. you. Yep. Yeah. Where do you think what do you think is the impact or like, what do you think is the role of companies when it comes to polarization? Cause companies are starting to like yeah. take stands. What, what's yeah. your, what's your, like, yeah, yeah. Your blanket. Yeah. I, yeah. No, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm generally really interested in the question of corporate responsibility. I might, that might be what I sort of transition to in my work, but oh, interesting. So I, might, I might have questions for you about that in the future, but um, I'm, I, I'm I'm partly interested because I feel like as American politics have become more dysfunctional, we we need firms and companies and corporations to do more for society. Mm-hmm. So as government fails, we're gonna rely more on firms to go above and beyond the letter of the law and, and not just do the bare minimum they have to do to comply with um regulations and so on, but actually do what's in the best interests of stakeholders. Um, I mean, I think that commerce can absolutely be hugely depolarizing, right? We, you know, um, I think, gosh, I mean, there are certain professions that tend to lean right, right? And there are Mm -hmm. professions that lean left and we need each other, right? Like where I live, I think most of the guys that, that build houses and fix houses and do stuff like that, Tend to lean red, and yeah. they tend to be Trump voters, right? Um, and and a lot of the people that hire those guys, and maybe work at the college or work in other you know so-called white collarish things, maybe lean more blue. And so they need the guys to fix their houses, and the guys who fix houses need need to need the white collar guys to pay them, mm-hmm. right? So, in some sense, commerce and business forces us to put politics aside and. And forces us to interact with those we disagree with and see mm. often to see, you know, oh yeah, my plumber, yeah, he's a decent guy and he's a pretty smart guy. And like he fixes. Um, so that's a really beautiful. That's a really beautiful way. I, I didn't know where you were going with that, but that's a really beautiful way to put it actually. Um, it's kind of, and it's like, it's asking us to take the extra step. It's challenging us to, to have conversation and connect with people. And connect the people that are like moving in and out of our daily lives, the, you know, the cashier, the, yeah, the person that's fixing your house, uh, 
the neighbor down the street and like really, really make an effort to connect. Like really that's the basic, that's the basic form. I had someone close to me thought about it a lot in the moment. You know, when you have a good friend say something and you're like laughing and talking and then you think about it later. I'm surprised that person said that. Has that ever happened to you? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and I think I've gotten more forgiving in recent years because, um, I think maybe, uh, you know, I've said things that I've been kicking myself for. Yeah. I, I hope they don't make too big a deal out of it. And so, yeah, but, but yeah, You're I know right. the feeling. I know the feeling for sure. Right. We, we unintentionally reveal like things that aren't necessarily the parts of ourselves that we want to share. That's you're right. Yeah. You're right. And it's that you're right. Actually, the other side of it is another friend recently said, we have to be willing to look at the dark side of people, of people, of the sides of people we don't necessarily like. I think that's a, that's a, another way of looking at it. But what this person had said was, you know, they, I think they make close to a couple hundred thousand dollars a year. And they said something along the lines of like, who really, they were, we were talking about politics and they said, who, well, who really wants, this is so out of context, but they said, who really wants to have friends that make, you know, $30,000 a year. And what they were trying mm-hmm. to say is that they don't have anything in common. Yeah. yeah, yeah and yeah. I think right. what, what your challenge, like what the challenge, the argument that to that, that perhaps you're suggesting is it's so important to find commonality. Um, yeah, yeah, no, I mean, so, right. So back to the question, you know, what is, what is the role of business? Mm. Um, business can be uh, a form of commonality, right? Something that we have in common when we patronize the same, you know, Democrats and Republicans go to Disney World and, and, and Democrats and Republicans work at Disney. Actually, you know, there are some worrying trends of, of firms becoming red firms and blue firms, like, um, which, yeah, no, I think business could play a mm. big role in fighting polarization and sadly and scarily it's going the other direction. Mm. Um, but yeah, I'm tempted to like talk about your friend's comment. I mean, that's a really interesting comment. It's very human yeah. and, and, and not just that we want to spend time with, I mean, yes, people, you know, birds of a feather flock together. We like to be with people that are in similar situations. Yeah. I could, I could see, you know, why someone with money would frankly, I'm not condoning, you know, this is not something, not, not, I, I would encourage them to not think this way. And yet I think there, it's human to, to not just to sort of arbitrarily want to spend time with people that we have something in common with, but there's a practical, you've got your $200,000, you want to probably go to fancy restaurants a lot. And yeah. if you want to, you want friends to go to your fa- to go to the fancy restaurants with you, and so if your friend can't afford the fancy restaurant, it's just kind of it's a bummer for you. You can't do the thing with your friend that you could do more easily with a friend that, and, and I, that again, it's not right. It's just there is just human an understandable reason that's it's that doesn't even involve looking down on someone with less money in any way. Yeah. And I mean, this is like a whole other conversation, but it's also, it also speaks to why it's so important to have like, to have, to have other interests, right? Like to like, it's the role of entertainment. It's the role of, of the arts. It's the role of, you know, (laughs) sports and it creates that commonality. Again, I think that comment is ultimately a function of ignorance, right? I think Mm. that you could have a great relationship with someone with less money, but it can be uncomfortable. Right. Mm. And like, even if you wanted to be completely generous, you might worry that that they wouldn't be comfortable getting taken out for dinner all the yeah. time or something. Yeah. Um, there's interesting stuff there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's 3.30. 
Yeah. I'm yeah. so thankful for your time. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, thanks. It was really nice talking. I have to uh, make a shameless plug. I do have a book about Yay! <laughs> polarization coming scheduled to come out in spring, 2023. Okay. Tell um, us the, tell us the name again. Um, yeah. Yeah. So the title is undo hate, like U N D U E hate, like, but it's sort of a double entendre, like let's undo hate. Ah, I like it. Yeah. Um, and then it has a bunch of stuff after a colon, like a subtitle, like host- the behavioral economics of hostile polarization and U.S. politics and blah, blah, blah. But that is a long. That's about behavioral I- economics of affective polarization. Yeah. That is a long. The end part is very long. I like the beginning is undo hate in economics. <laughs> uh, just undo hate. Oh, I love it. Undo hate. Yeah. Well, I can't wait yeah. to read Thanks. it. I wait. Is, so tell tell me, is yeah. it is it extremely academic? Is it no, like it's it's semi-academic? It, okay, it's not cool. it the goal it is for it to be readable uh by anyone who wants to read. There's no prereq for reading it. It avoids jargon. Um, but it's written by me, and I'm not a professional, you know, book writer. My first book. So I did my best yeah. to to write it in an engaging, readable way. Uh but and um but, uh, you know, it's not going to be a Michael Lewis page turner type of thing. But well, um, don't sell yourself yeah. short. Like, I'm sure it's going <laughs> to <Yeah>. be great. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks. I, Thanks. Yeah. 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 And it sounds like it's a really important. It, honestly, in talking to you, it's a very important body of work that needs to be shared. So I think it's I think it's I'm really excited for you. That's awesome. Yeah, thank you. Awesome. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Daniel Stone joined us from his home in Maine. Season three of Nuance of Impact is a capsule season focused on topics that are shaping impact and those that make it. You can follow Nuance of Impact on Instagram at Nuance of Impact. We'll see you next time.